The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace. Today we have a fabulous topic. So I know that most of the people I deal with struggle with time. We pack an enormous amount in our daily lives from work, family, outside interests, hobbies, charities, just to name a few, and maybe exercise if we get it thrown in somewhere along the line. And then we add much to that. Most of the people I work with, in addition, have not one or two roles, but I'm finding people are carrying three and four roles, meaning they're doing what three and four people used to do. So as a result, there is just never enough time. So the focus for today is how can you organize yourself to conquer the world? In effect, to steal from a title of my guest, how can you fold time? So with me today is Neen James. Neen is an author and a fabulous motivational speaker. She does one-to-one mon- mentoring on productivity and performance. She's an Australian living in the U.S. and the author of two fabulous books, Folding Time and most recently, uh, Be Amazing. So Neen, welcome to the show. G'day. What a delight to be able to serve your listeners today. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So let's start with the top of this one, Neen. So what we want to know, how can you tell us how to manage our time to be more productive? What's the secret? Well, here's the deal, Wanda. Your listeners know we can't manage time. You know, time management is out the window. The old way of managing time doesn't work anymore. And you and I both know it used to work in the 80s before technology. It doesn't work now. It's not about managing time. It's about Folding time. Okay, so so, all right, fair. I agree with you. I don't manage my time terribly well either. So what do you mean about folding time? What is that? Well, when you think about it, we all get 1,440 minutes in a day. Time is not prejudice. It's going to happen whether we like it or not. We have to look at time differently now, Wanda. I believe that we really need to think about folding time. Folding time is about achieving twice as much in half the amount of time. And what we need to think about as leaders is we need to be more accountable for our time and also the time we ask of others. We need to totally change the way that we engage our attention and we need to leverage our energy because when we do this, we filter our decisions really differently and we manage our workflow differently. What I believe is leaders who do this, who truly fold time, 
they invest in the right activities. They have so much more integrity because they do what they say they're going to do, and that's how they make a greater impact on the world. So I believe folding time is about being accountable, engaged, and leveraging our energy. Okay, I like that. Leveraging energy, being um, engaged, which is where we focus our attention, and mm-hmm. accountable for our time. All right, now sounds lovely. Well, <laughs> let's get quite tactical. Let's start with the first one, this notion of being accountable for our time and others' time. How do we do that? So I think we need to speak the truth in advance. Here's what I mean. We need to declare what we're going to be accountable for. So as leaders, we need to ask our team members to share with us what they're going to be held accountable for, and then we need to have systems in place to hold them accountable. Systems might be as simple as team one-on-ones. If you are a business owner listening to this, find someone to be accountable to. For example, I own my own company, and so I have an accountability partner. Every Friday, she and I exchange an email of all of our business activities that we agreed that we would do, as well as our personal activities that we said we'd be accountable for. So it's speaking the truth in advance. I share with my accountability partner, this is what I'm going to achieve this week. And then she checks in on me. So the first tip is to truly speak the truth in advance. The second thing is to be clear on the objective. So as a leader, whether you are leading yourself or leading a team or a leader in your community, you want to be clear so that everyone knows what are the objectives that we're being held accountable to, and you want to communicate those regularly. And then the third thing is you want to check in regularly. If you have team members, have one-on-ones with them, have team meetings, check and see that they're doing what they say they're doing. Accountability is a practice. We can build it as a skill set, but I think when we make it public, we then achieve it. Last year, for the life of me, I don't know why, but someone challenged me to start running. I had never run before in my life, Wanda, just to be clear. (laughs) Your listeners can't tell this from my voice. I know I sound like I'm five, but I do not have a runner's body. Nothing about my body says runner. But my friend dared me to start running, so I did. Another friend dared me to run a marathon, so I stupidly did. So I started running late April. I ran a marathon in November. Now, the reason I share that is because here's what happened. I wrote a blog about signing up for a marathon. That one blog and the fact that I made myself accountable to one of my friends made me run that crazy marathon in freezing cold. So what I did was I made my challenge public because I couldn't even stand the thought of not running the marathon and telling people, hey, by the way, I changed my mind. So I think that when you really want to be accountable, you make it public. So, I mean, that's really interesting. Some of the um, research that's come out in the last few years and has been in practice in any, both in the UK and the US in moving public opinion gets people to say what their intentions are, let's say, to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we announce it in the block that 70% of the block is going to vote. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of using the power of the group, if you will, to hold you accountable. Everybody else is, you better follow through as well. Mm-hmm. So we know that when, and I know when I'm doing a training session, I ask people to be, to define one goal at the end of the session and to tell three other people about it. 
right. and agree to check in two weeks later to make sure somebody has thought about what they said their goal was. Mm-hmm. So this is the whole, it's not hard to do, it's just a matter of creating the systems, to use your word, exactly. that ensure we declare and follow up. Honey, think about the fact that like a bazillion people have a New Year's resolution they're going to get fit, and a bazillion people join the gym on January 1st, and a bazillion people go the first day, the second day, maybe the fourth day, and where I live on the east coast of America, it's freezing cold in January. Now, if you have someone you have agreed to meet at the gym, somehow you get your little butt out of bed, you put your clothes on in the dark, and you meet them at the gym because you don't want to disappoint them, you don't want to let them down, you don't want to be that person. But if it's just you trying to get out of bed in the dark in January to go to the gym, some of us have second thoughts. So there's a lot of power in having accountability partners and systems in place because often what happens is we don't want to let anyone else down, but we let ourselves down. So it's about that public accountability, sharing it with someone else. Like you say, it's the group. Maybe the group is as big as two, but maybe. That's why when you think about people who are losing weight and they join programs where they have to join other people and share their results, they have greater result with their weight loss because they have other people holding them accountable. They feel responsible to those people. Social media is an interesting example of that as a social experiment of people that are making declarations and then they have to honor those declarations because they told the world they would do it. My marathon is no different. Okay. All right, so now put this in the context of business. I get your point that the more we are accountable, meaning we tell other people what we're going to do, we're very clear about our objectives, we have somebody else engaged to hold us accountable for that. Now, how does that work if I'm leading a team? How do I do that with my team? Well, what you want to think about is as a leader, you are still accountable to someone else. I mean, when you think about it, no matter how senior you are, you are personally accountable to someone too. So think about it, even if you're the CEO, you're accountable to the board. If you run your own company, you're accountable to the people who are investing in you. If you run your own company, you might have a team who relies on you, so you're accountable to them. So we're all accountable to someone. It could be that you are running a business from your home, and part of your accountability is you might be providing a lifestyle for people you care about. So I believe we're all accountable to someone. So I think it's important to just to understand who we're accountable to and to also be open in sharing our strategies, our objectives with them so we also feel like we're being held accountable. But as a leader of a team, what I believe is important is the team needs to understand why you're doing everything. You know, often I say people will do what you need if they understand why you need it. So they'll do the what if they know the why. And so as a leader, one of the first things you have to communicate is why this is important to the team or the company or the project or the client. Declare why first, then talk about the strategies for what. I believe in the art of writing things down. Once something is written down, I think it makes it easier for someone. So I also believe as a leader, you want to publish team goals. You want to publish deadlines. You want to publish milestones. It's interesting because I manage a lot of my clients are high-performing sales leaders. And what I've noticed is the teams that are doing exceptionally well have the simplicity of systems like a whiteboard, 
one of my media companies, I noticed that the highest performers want to see their name on the top of the whiteboard, not the bottom of the whiteboard. So as a leader, you can use visual systems to help keep your team accountable and motivated. So when I work with um, some of my advertising sales leaders, nobody wants to see their name at the bottom, Wanda, right? And so that motivation and accountability is when their sales numbers are declared in front of everybody, people are more likely to want to be able to achieve and they also don't want to let the team down. So a leader needs to think about communicating the objectives, holding people personally responsible and holding the team accountable because they want the team to support each other because no one wants to let down the team. All right. So I like this idea that, you know, I agree with you. We have to start with why it's important because you have to get people engaged in heart and head and then we can talk about how we're going to do it. Right. And that you write down the goals, you publish the goals and the milestones and you hold the team and the individuals accountable. Now, I can imagine we could get some pushback on this one with saying, if I have a list of who's meeting what goals on a whiteboard, doesn't that set up too much competition within the team? What's your view? I think that competition is healthy, providing that it's managed well. I see nothing wrong with people being driven to achieve, but we have to understand what's motivating people. People are motivated in our team by very different things. I've led hundreds of corporate teams, uh, hundreds of people in my corporate teams in my career, and some people are motivated by seeing their name on the whiteboard. They love that public recognition. Some people love their name being called out in a team meeting. So I think we have to understand how people are motivated. Now, some of my leaders over the years prefer that private thank you note, that private recognition, and just a job well done. So what we've got to think about as leaders is the people that are in our team, what motivates them? So when you know what motivates them, you can then tailor your message according to the individual. So as a leader, you can't have one size fits all when it comes to motivation and not everyone is as competitive as you might think. Sales leaders are often very competitive. But if I think of some of my other teams that I manage, so some of my clients might run massive call centers, right? So the call center in the customer service environment, what they want to do is make sure that their customers are really satisfied. So they are almost competing with themselves to make sure that they're handling the customers as quickly as possible, getting the highest level of satisfaction as possible. So really what it all comes down to is paying attention to what motivates individuals and then paying attention to make sure we can all achieve the goal. All right, couldn't agree with you more that you have to tailor your messages and your communication, particularly around motivation and influence to what matters to the other person. Okay, so now suppose, just give me an example of a system. Suppose I have a team that is not motivated by the competitiveness of seeing my name at the top of the board. Mm-hmm. And instead, they're motivated by a collaborative sense of we did a good job together. Mm-hmm. How would I hold that team accountable for a goal or a deadline? So I've done this with one of my teams in Seattle, and what we did was we had a team incentive. The incentive happened to be a fabulous location that people could really enjoy, and there were levels of competition. So if the team achieved a certain level, all of the team members got to go. If the team achieved a certain second level, they got to bring a friend or a partner. So you can have team incentives where the team is responsible for the achievement of the goal. 
So there's ways to do it. Now, what's going to happen is you're always going to have individuals who rise up, right? There's always going to be people who really want to be number one. But when it's a team environment, what happens is we feel when we're all going to be rewarded, it could be an event. It could be a location. It might be something new for the team as far as equipment, furniture. You would be astounded at what I've seen people be motivated to achieve. And so when the team is involved, often because of the way we feel responsible for each other, we don't want to let the team down. I've seen some teams have incredible success by having different offerings for like a trip. So if there were certain things achieved, there were certain activities they could do. And I think that's smart of leadership to know what really motivates your team. There's not one formula that fits all, like we said. Okay. But we still have the principle that what you want to do as a leader, one is to understand what motivates your group, Mm -hmm. and then two is to devise a system that makes it clear and transparent what the achievables are, where we are in hitting those milestones and goals, and then a commitment to check in regularly with each other. So, Neen, this reminds me of a software company called Fort Hill that does a thing called Friday Fives. And this is a simple um, internet-driven process where there's a team goal and everybody has their individual accountable goal underneath that. And on Friday, everybody takes five minutes to update the status of where am I relative to the team goal and the individual goal. Love it. And so it's it's the same principle, whether you do it from a software company or you do it by paper and pencil or you do it on a whiteboard, that's what we're talking about. We are. We really are. And I think what you want to consider is as a leader, your energy is going to be contagious. So if you're excited about the achievement of a goal and you pay attention to what's important to people within your team for that goal, I believe that 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 energy you have around it becomes contagious if you're excited. People can't help but wonder, why is he excited about that? Why is she excited about that? And so what you want to think about as a leader is you also need to believe that the team can achieve that goal because what's going to happen is subtly you're going to give them those messages. At the end of the day, you know, I think one, the people want to be seen and they want to be heard. And as a leader, your responsibility is to pay attention to individuals, but keep your eye on the team goal. So it's really about how you pay attention as a leader. I love that. Keep your eye on the team goal, but pay attention to the individuals. Okay, we're going to take a break. With me today is Neen James. Neen is a productivity and performance expert, a keynote speaker, and the author of Folding Time as well as Be Amazing. Neen's key point has been here, in order to fold time to accomplish more, we have to be accountable, manage our energy, and manage our engagement. So when we come back, I'm going to pick up with a tip about how do we manage our attention and focus. We'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. 
If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Neen James. Neen is a productivity and performance expert, keynote speaker, and an author. And we have been talking about, well, I should say managing time, but actually the real world word is folding time. How do you get the things that matter done in the minutes that are in the day? And I think Neen says there's 1,440 minutes in a day. (laughs) Neen's philosophy is that there are three things you do. One is about accountability. And we were just talking about how do you hold yourself and other people accountable. I want to turn to the second one, which is a really key, I believe, in improving performance and productivity in general. And that has to do, Neen, you use the word engage. Mm Mm-hmm. But you mean where we focus our attention. So tell us why that matters. Attention pays. Now think about it. We as kids get told, pay attention. As adults, we feel like everyone is distracted around us. We've got distracted driving. We've got injuries. We've got customer complaints. We've got staff turnover. We have all of these things that are happening because people don't pay attention. Our new book, which comes out next year, is called Attention. And I believe attention pays. Here's what I mean by attention. As leaders, we need to give people the gift of our undivided attention. We are living in a time where our leaders are overwhelmed, overstressed, and overtired. And so to truly pay attention means to accelerate our engagement and prioritize people. All right. So accelerate engagement and prioritize. Now, why does paying attention help with productivity? When you think about what happens in a team, let's take some of my, let's take my sales teams that I work with, Wanda. What happens is we all know that it is easier to upsell an existing client and give them additional products than it is to get a new client, right? But what we've also learned is if we don't pay attention to our customers, they go somewhere else. And customers have so many choices now, that more than they've ever had before. 
Paying attention is really about understanding what is incredibly important and make it important. So, for example, if something's important to you, I make it important to me. So one of the first things to think about is understand what's important. I also believe that attention is systemizing thoughtfulness. I believe we need to systemize thoughtfulness at work, at home, but also in our community. All right, systemized thoughtfulness. Now, this sounds to me like some of the work of Daniel Goleman around this notion of focus, that you focus your time and your energy so that you're doing one thing, not 50 things simultaneously. Is that what you mean by systemized thoughtfulness? Systemized thoughtfulness to me is sometimes the simplest thing. For example, uh, I believe in using people's names. Dale Carnegie once said in a book, one of my favorite books that he wrote, Wonder, was How to Win Friends and Influence People. And Dale Carnegie said a person's name is the sweetest sound. And when you think about that, we need to use people's names. To me, that means everybody. That means my barista, the taxi driver. It means the person at the registration desk. I wonder how many of our listeners know the name of the security guard, the receptionist. We need to use people's names, and systemizing thoughtfulness is the simple things. For example, it is asking someone when you meet them, what's your name, and then using their name. Uh, I travel a lot with my role because I'm always speaking at conventions and conference centers, and so Maria, who works with me, always texts me the name of the driver if I'm being picked up so that I know that and I can use that. Systemized thoughtfulness is simple things. For example, I always send texts of encouragement to my clients and to my friends when I travel. I always make sure that on a Sunday I write a series of handwritten notes that can be posted on a Monday to encourage people, to remind people that I appreciate them. I always carry stamps stationary with me so I can write a thank you note when I've had great service in a hotel or with a uh, particular restaurant or something like that in a retail department. And I always make sure that I buy gifts when I'm out and about so that once a month I can send gifts to people when I see something that reminds me of them. Systems create freedom. I believe we can systemize thoughtfulness as leaders. All right. So systems create freedom. I love that phrase. That's fabulous. How true. So the notion here is that I tell, I'm showing people how important they are to the achievement, let's say, of my goal by the level of attention that I give them. Right. And in order to maximize that level of attention, one is I have to get rid of the distractions, but two (laughs) is I want a system that allows me to easily show thoughtfulness like a system for names, a system for thank yous, a system for gifts. Is that a fair summary? It's a great summary. And, you know, gifts could be the simplicity of a handwritten note. It could be whenever I was in, uh, I had large corporate teams. Whenever I had a new person who was joining, I always made sure their desk was set up, their security was all set up, they had a security tag, there were flowers on their desk if they were a female, that I bought them a coffee when they arrived, that they had appointments set up so that their first day, they felt really special. I mean, how often as leaders do we have a new person start and we scramble to get them through security, there's no laptop for them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that we can systemize thoughtfulness and the gift is really our attention, the gift of our undivided attention. But it's those little things that make people feel like they matter. 
using their names. And some of it, Wanda, is good old-fashioned good manners that we used to teach. But now what happens is we're so distracted by our devices and our email and we allow all these crazy things to interrupt us. We've got to get back to systemizing what really matters. And at the end of the day, we've got to prioritize people and then profit and then projects. I think we've got it the wrong way around. That's fabulous. All right. So let me, because you talk about, you know, we have lost some manners. I agree. I, I even confess I find myself occasionally walking down the street sending a text message. I do try to look up periodically, but it is another <laughs> symbol of how much we pack into every single second. So let me give you um, a recent study that I have been fond of sharing with lots of people lately. So this is Stanford University. So we're talking Stanford University graduates. We should argue fairly intelligent beings. <laughs> and they did a study around interruptions. So here's the process. You're sitting at your computer. You're writing an email. You're working on a spreadsheet. You're working on a presentation. You get interrupted. That interruption could be an email ping. It could be a text message. It could be a chat. It could be a knock at the door. It could be somebody stopping your desk to speak to you. You stop to deal with the interruption and you turn back to the task at hand. And then the question I always ask is how many minutes between the time that you turn back to the task until you're at exactly the same place in your thinking pattern and work efficiency as you were before you were interrupted? Most people say five minutes. The study says 23 minutes. And if you think about how many times we get interrupted in the course of a day, that's a massive amount of lost time. Yeah. So it's not just about good manners. Interruptions have a lot more to do, I think, on this morning time. Yeah. All right. Now, so all of this would say that part of what we have to do is to keep track of what's most important to us so that we can focus our attention on what's most important. Do you have any tips on how we can keep track of what matters? Absolutely. I encourage everyone who's listening to this to invest 15 minutes every day. And I'm only asking you for 15 minutes because you can create 15 minutes. You can get up earlier for 15 minutes or you can go to bed later. In 15 minutes, what I'd like you to identify is what is your top three not negotiable activities that need to be completed today. So you need to understand what are your three most important things. Now, here's what I do, Wanda. The simplicity of my system is I write them on a post-it note. And I have tried every app, every system, but here's why I use a post-it note. A post-it note I can carry everywhere with me and it becomes my decision filtering system. So what I want people to think about is understand what's your three most important today. Now these are often based on knowing what are your annual objectives, what are your goals. The second thing I would say is if you really want to keep track of what's most important, you need to eliminate the distractions you're talking about. And sometimes that means electronically. I love using social media blocking apps. I use one called AnySocial on my Mac, and I think it's called Freedom for PCs. But we need to be able to control these distractions. If we, I can't trust myself to not go and jump on the Facebook or Twitter or Blab or whatever it is if I don't want to work on the proposal. So what I do is I put systems in place to eliminate distractions. You can set up these attention management software systems to allow you to focus. 
I also believe if you really want to keep track of what's most important, you've got to be able to eliminate the visual distractions around you as well. I encourage my clients to work on one project on their desk at a time. If that involves paper, just have that one piece of paper that you're looking at. So we've got to be able to identify our top three things We've got to be able to eliminate distractions. And then the third thing is set a time limit. So what you can do is you can, I believe it's, it's like compressing time. I call it the art of compression. If you think you have 60 minutes to do something, chances are it's going to take you 60 minutes. Think about it. If you've got two weeks to make a decision, how long does it take you? Two weeks. If you have two seconds to make a decision, how long does it take you? Two seconds. So I think if you set a time limit on something, you can make it important for that time limit. I literally use the timer on my iPhone. That's how I manage my email. That's how I manage project completion. That's how I make it important. Fabulous. One of my uh, colleagues who's a lawyer said to me years, years, years ago, that when you're a lawyer and you're looking at billable hours, that it's not a matter of getting perfection in a document for a client. It's about getting as much as that client can pay for and the time allotted to it. Mm-hmm. So if you've got three hours, then they get three hours worth of work. or three mm-hmm. That's as much as they can pay for, even though you might well spend 50 hours on it. Right. So it's an interesting idea spending a li- setting a time limit. And I often say to people, what's the task worth? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this notion that we pay attention and that we spend some time every day understanding your top three negotiables, that you eliminate distractions both from social media and visual distractions, and that you set a time limit. It reminds me also of a senior executive in New York who once said that he spent the train journey into the city thinking about what was the most important thing for him to get done that day mm-hmm. and that he did it first thing because right. it was incredibly easy to come in and be extraordinarily busy and never get anything done. <laughs> That's right. Busy is not productive, Wanda. Okay, fabulous. All right, so any other tips? For focusing about, you know, so we finished one project and we're now going to turn ourselves to another project. Any tips there about how to make that an efficient shift? Yeah, what people need to do, and this is a struggle for some of my clients I work with, you need to understand that no is a complete sentence. We need to say no more often. Now, sometimes we don't want to say no because we don't want to be seen as not being a team player or we want to please people. And yet, the only way to truly focus on what's important is to say no to the things that are not. That might mean you don't reply to every email, you don't accept every meeting invitation, you don't take every phone call. Saying no is an incredibly powerful strategy to pay attention to what matters. When we say yes to everything, we're saying no to what's important to us. Think about it. Email is everyone else's request of our time to achieve their objectives, right? And so if you're answering every single email that's coming in, you're helping everyone else achieve their goal. doesn't mean you're actually getting your goals achieved. If you say yes to every meeting invitation and you sit in other people's meetings to help them achieve their objectives, maybe you're not achieving your own. So we've got to get really good at saying no nicely. And that is what really sets some of my leaders apart, is those who have the strength and the courage to say no, even if it sounds fun, even if it sounds amazing. Sometimes we have to say no in order to focus on what's most important. 
Okay, so give me an example of saying no in a nice way. So let's just say you are having a social event, and it sounds like fun and I'd love to go, right? But the reality is I've got to work on this and finish this proposal for my client, so I can't join you for lunch and I can't be part of the team, but I desperately want to. I would say thank you so much for thinking of me. I would love to join you. However, I have another commitment. Have a great time. That's it. I love that. So you don't invite any discussion because when you say, no, I'd love to be there, you say, have a great time. It's done. Now we can have that back and forth debate. Yep. Very interesting. Very Mm -hmm. interesting. One um, senior executive said in terms of managing time, the advice was, I bet you accept every invitation that comes on your calendar. This is very consistent with what you're saying, Neen, and that not to do that. That you don't, otherwise your calendar gets filled up with a bunch of stuff that you don't necessarily need or want to be at. And so you're judicious in what you accept as an invitation. Same strategy, being careful what you say it's to. And this means socially, this means in our personal lives as well as our professional lives. I think so many of us do things because we feel obligated. And believe me, there are times in our family commitments we've got to do these certain things. But I think we need to have our one-liners we feel really great about. I always acknowledge the person for the invitation. So I would say, Wanda, thank you for thinking of me, or Wanda, that sounds amazing. But then I always follow that with, thank you for thinking of me, Wanda. I, you know, I know it's going to be an awesome event. Have a great time. Because by me saying, I really appreciate you thinking of me, I want you to have a great time, we don't enter into a debate. I don't believe we need to give excuses. And frankly, it's no one's business why we say no, but I think what happens is we feel like we have to give them an excuse. And the longer you talk and the more excuses you get, the less people believe you. So just be elegant, say thank you, be gracious, and wish them a great time. <laughs> Elegant, say thank you, be gracious, wish them a great time. All right, fabulous. I've been talking with Neen James. We're going to take a break again. Neen is a productivity and performance expert, and we've been talking about folding time, managing accountability, paying attention to what really matters, and then we're going to turn in this next segment after the break to talk about Neen's advice for how to conquer the world. And hint, it has to do with evaluating priorities. We'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. 
What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Neen James. Neen is a productivity and performance expert, a keynote speaker, a one-to-one mentor, and the author of Folding Time as well as Be Amazing. We have been talking about how we, I keep wanting to say manage our time, but you're going to change it yet for fold time to get more done. That we manage our attention, that we manage accountability, ours and others, and that we manage um, what matters. So, Neen, when you say be amazing and conquer the world, what does that mean to you? I believe that as leaders, we all need to have more influence and impact. And one of the ways to do that is to conquer your world, whatever that looks like for you, which means we really need to get systemized and get it done. I believe we need to systemize and templatize. Systemize and templatize. How? Well, in our last segment, we talked about systemizing thoughtfulness. We can systemize thoughtfulness. We can systemize generosity. We all have systems in our life. Chances are we haven't called them that. Think about people who are listening. Chances are you drive the same way home every day from work or you catch the same train home from every work if you have a role that allows you to do that. And what happens when you're driving is you know exactly when you need to change lanes, you know exactly how long that light's going to stay orange for and you know when to turn off and how much time you have. And I wonder if you've ever got home from work, wonder, and you think, huh, I don't remember the drive home, right? Because you've systemized it. You've done it so many times. So the beauty of systems, as we previously said, is systems create freedom. If you really want to conquer your world, systemize as many things as you can. That means having systems in place. It might be that you eat the same thing for breakfast. It might be that you work out a certain routine X number of times a day. It might be that you run your one-on-ones with your, le- with your leadership team a certain way. But when you think about systems, systems can often mean if you're doing something more than once, I like to create a system for it. It could be the way you handle your email, handle your correspondence. It's about creating systems so you don't have to think about them. If you do the same thing each time, it means you allow your head space to focus on more strategic activities. Create systems for tactics and allow space for strategy. Systems for tactics and space for strategy. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. Okay, so give me an example of how you systematize your email responses or your email in general. 
Yeah, absolutely. Let me give you a few of my favorite tools. I look, I use Gmail. So for me, that's an easy system to use. So there's a couple of things that I use. I look at my email in 15-minute increments only. So I play this game. I put my iPhone on a timer. I look at the time on my Mac. And I get as many emails done as I can in those 15 minutes. Then I move on to the next activity. I do that four, sometimes up to five times a day because it's like what we talked about before, the art of compression. We compress things in that dedicated 15-minute segment. I also use tools like Boomerang. Boomerang is an email management system that allows me to send things back to me at a certain time of day or to set reminders. So Boomerang is just an addition to Gmail. There are other systems out there that you can use with Outlook and things. I also love with my email to do things like an easy system for me is I use a system called unroll.me, unroll me. It unsubscribes me from everything I don't want to read because our inboxes are often full of things that are unnecessary. So systems, the simplicity of things like 15-minute increments, apps or additional pieces that you can use there's a, a site a friend of mine was telling about called SaneBox, which allows some management of your email. So I think what's happening, Wanda, with our email, just as a side comment, is many of us are constantly connected. We're constantly responding to email. We think, if I can just get rid of this one email, if I can just get this response back. And what's happening is email is eating away all these minutes of our attention so we're not focusing on strategy. And so email is just a communication tool. So often I think email was designed to help us do our job, but now for many people email has become the job. And if you're just responding outward to email, you're not always working on strategic activities. So we have to be really diligent. Another system I use is I very regularly use an out-of-office message. So if I'm going to be speaking for a client, my out-of-office message says I'm speaking in Seattle this, you know, today, but I'll return your email after 6 p.m. I even use the out-of-office wonder when I'm spending an afternoon doing a strategic project. So I'll say I'm unavailable between 2 and 5. However, I'd love to get back to you. And what this does is it proactively manages the expectations of the sender. And what I want to do is always proactively communicate to help manage what their expectations of me. If you get a bounce back out-of-office from someone, you're less likely to try and follow up with them immediately because they've proactively told you, hey, I can't look at this right now, but I still want to help you. Wow, that is such a simple idea, and boy, would it make a lot of difference in some of my clients' lives where they get an email, and then 15 minutes later they get another email. Why haven't you yet responded? I know. Crazy. Okay. People think we're it is crazy. It's not what's happening, people. <laughs> um, I will also say I'm not as good at using the systems as you are, but I also give an observation from my personal life for whatever this is worth for people listening. I notice that when I'm with a client all day, I don't respond to email. I have my attention focused on the client that I'm with, and I'm not going to distract it by a thousand other things, unless there's a crisis going on with someone I'm coaching. What that means is at the end of a day, I find that the number of emails I've actually gotten is dramatically reduced. Mm -hmm. But I'm darned the day that I am sitting on my desk all day, I will get five and ten times as any emails because I'm responding. So it's entirely possible that this focusing our increments and not being as responsive every second could diminish some of the craziness that's going on with emails. Yep. 
All right. I get what you mean by systematize, and I love this. Systemize the tactics and make space for the strategy. All right. I want to come back to this notion about priorities. Everybody mm-hmm. says we need to have priorities, and I've been, you know, we've all been told a hundred times, set your priorities, determine your priorities. Well, how do we know what is a real priority, and how can we hold that when so many other people think they have a right to determine what our priority is? Here's my theory. People first. Profit second, projects third. Let me explain what that means. It's human beings that do the role. We've got these people who are in our team, who are in our community, and people we share our lives with. You and I both know if someone is sick that we adore, it's all bets are off, right? If something happens to one of our family members, someone who's important to us, somehow, some way, that becomes the most important priority. So it's always people first. Now, we don't need people to have illnesses for them to be important. So I believe that it's our team members who are our priority, our stakeholders, our shareholders, our customers, people first. Profit second, and here's why profit is second. If you're really wondering what activity you need to work on, you want to look at the return on your attention is what I call it. Some people call it return on investment. So if you're a business owner listening to this and you have... 50 emails, two meetings, a conference call, and a proposal to send to the client, the proposal to send to the client is the profitable activity. So I believe we need to focus on profit second. Those profit revenue generating activities, whether you're running a team, managing a call center, whether you are running your own business, or whether you are doing fundraising for your local charity, I think profit is the second priority. Then projects are third. It's really easy to be busy all day, Wanda, but as I said earlier in our call, busy is not productive. We've got to think about people first, profit second, projects third. Okay, so then I take whatever time I have left to dedicate to the projects. But as you said in an earlier segment, it's also a matter of saying no to some of those things so that you are doing the ones that matter the most for you. Mm Mm-hmm. I have a sign on my desk and it says, is this the best use of my time right now? Great. (laughs) Of time now. That's interesting. I often say to people that I'm coaching that they should know, especially working for a large corporation, you should know what an hour of your time costs the company. That salary benefits, office space, admin support, IT, everything, all in. What does it cost the company to have you sitting there for one hour in this space? And that you should constantly be asking, is this worth that much for this hour? Mm, that's great advice for them. And I think, I bet your clients are surprised at how expensive it really is, what their hourly rate is. I, I think most people are, and the estimates are somewhere between two and three times your salary. So, and then we have a question about what are the hours? You know, is it a 40 hours and 60 hours and 80 hours? But I'll let each person determine that for themselves. But I think, too, if you have any people who are listening to this call and maybe they're business owners, right? And maybe they are running their own invoices. Maybe they are doing their own debt collection. And yet their skills are better served by being, uh, you know, reaching out to existing clients, building new products building new, you know, cataloging their intellectual property. What we've got to get really, really clear about 
is what we are exceptional at and then give away the rest. So we've got to outsource the things that are not our stronger skill set and focus in on the things that we are best at. And sometimes, you know, if you're starting a business, you may not have a lot of cash flow. Maybe you've got to barter time with people. That's how I did it. When I moved from Australia to America, I had no clients. I had no money to buy shoes, so I had to get creative. And so when I was building my practice, I would barter time with people where I needed their expertise. And so I swapped my expertise for theirs. So I bartered. So I know what I'm not good at and I outsource that. And that's another system is delegate or outsource what you're not exceptional at and focus what you're great at. That's fabulous. And focus what you're great at. Now, that does lead you to keep doing the same things that you've always been doing. So there's some risk. You know, there's a little bit of stretch you got to do every now and then to expand your capability. Mm. But I like this notion that you outsource. One person told me once, outsource everything you can afford to outsource. Yeah, and if you can't afford it because cash is an issue, barter. So, for example, when I first moved here, I needed someone to do my accounts and, you know, all the invoicing and, you know, using QuickBooks and things like that. So I reached out to an accountant and I said, I tell you what, I will share with your team how to be more productive. I will coach the leader, you know, the leadership team on how to get more done if you would help me with my accounting system and getting it set up. She thought that was a brilliant idea. And then once I had income coming in, I could pay her. So it was easy. But I think what you've got to think about is don't underestimate the brilliance of the skills that you have and that someone else values that. I also do believe we have to invest significantly in what we're good at. I am a keynote speaker. It's what I do. I open large corporate conferences for corporations and associations. And so I regularly invest in a speech coach. And at least twice a year, I invest with people who are exceptional in the world of keynote speaking. I pay them to help me be better. I think we have to invest in what we're good at as well so that we become even more exceptional. Fabulous. That's incredible. Invest in what you're good at. I love that piece of advice. All right, one minute then. We started the segment by talking about how do you have greater influence and impact. Um, So what's your advice on how to be more effective at influencing? You know, truly, if you want to be amazing, you need to have more impact and influence, which means you really need to pay attention to what matters and be clear. You've got to honor your uniqueness and show up as the leader you really are. Conquer your world. Just do it. And then accelerate your engagement so you're paying attention to those things that matters. That's how you be amazing and create significant moments that really matter. Remember, attention pays. Attention pays. Well, Dean, um, that's a lot. That's a lot to digest all in one time. But I love this notion that you can be more influential by conquering your world, which means I'm going to prioritize, I'm going to systematize, I'm going to be able then to focus my attention to what really matters, and I'm going to hold myself accountable to do what I said I was going to do, and I do that in a public way by making it public. And all of that frees my time to be more influential and impactful. Absolutely. You are a brilliant host and a brilliant summarizer. Your interview skills are phenomenal. You have just summarized our whole conversation in a couple of sentences. Well, thank you. That's a fabulous comment, Janine. 
Um, and that's a lot to do because you've had an awful lot to say. So let me say, Neen, thank you very much for being here. I've been talking to Neen James. She is a production and performance expert, a fabulous keynote speaker. She does some one-on-one mentoring for people who are lucky enough to do that. And she's the author of Folding Time, Be Amazing, and a new book that is coming out. I lost the title of it. Attention. Attention. Perfect. Thank you for being here, Neen. It's my privilege. All right. Now, next week, we're going to interestingly pick up this notion about influencing. And I'm going to talk with one of my favorite experts on influencing, influencing persuasion. And that's Richard Schell. So join us next week and figure out how to do more of that influencing effort. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.